When we say, I believe in the forgiveness of sin, we are telling each other that there are times when we stumble and fall and we get it wrong. But we're also saying He comes along and lifts us up and brushes us down and lets us begin again. Welcome to First and Foremost, a weekly broadcast of First Presbyterian Church in the heart of downtown Greenville. Senior Pastor Richard Gibbons invites you to join us as we study God's Word together and discover what is first and foremost in our lives. As you know, we have been making our way through the Apostles' Creed. And this morning, we will, beginning, we will begin our worship, our sermon on the prologue to John. And we will read that together. Listen now to the Word of God. In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through Him all things were made. Without Him nothing was made that had been made. In Him was life, and that life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, but the darkness has not understood it. There came a man who was sent from God. His name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light, so that through him all men might believe. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. The true light that gives light to every man was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only, who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. This is the Word of God. As most of you are aware, we have been spending our Sunday mornings making our way through the Apostles' Creed. And today we're coming to the phrase, I believe in the forgiveness of sin. And over our weeks together, we've learned a great deal, we've come a long way, we have dealt with some tough questions that are asked of Christians in a 21st century cultural setting. On other occasions, we've spent our Sunday mornings looking at the virgin birth, or the ascension, or the resurrection. And in fact, last Sunday morning, as many of you know, we looked at what does it mean to grow and mature in our faith while living in community. We spent our Sunday morning there. And today, as we come to look at the forgiveness of sins, we're doing that quite intentionally. Because if, as Christian people, we cannot deal with the tough issues in life, if we cannot deal with the messiness of life, our faith might not be as valuable and significant as we seem. So this morning, we'll be asking some tough questions. And the Scripture teaches us this, that when you stop and pause and begin to explore not just the concept of sin at a cerebral level, 
But once you begin to look at its impact on individuals and families and communities and society, it is often ugly, it is dark, it is distasteful, and at times utterly shocking. And when we say, I believe in the forgiveness of sin, we are saying an awful lot. And John, in writing his gospel, he writes 25 or 30 years after the other gospel writers, and he very carefully constructs what is called John's prologue, those first 14 verses. And notice what he says in verses 4 and 5. The writing of Jesus, he says this, in him was life, and that life was the light of men. To those, excuse me, and that life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness, but the darkness has not understood it. Now, please notice what John is saying. He's not saying that light is the light of men and the darkness doesn't see it. He's saying the darkness has not understood it. Because that's what sin does. Deceptive, enticing, promises so much and delivers so little. I want to do something just now that I don't think I've ever done in a sermon before. I'm going to ask Stephanie Johnson if she'll come and join me. Stephanie is married uh, to Stan, and most of you will know Stephanie. And those of you who know her well know that the last thing Stephanie ever wants is the limelight. And so to be interviewed in the middle of a sermon this morning, that takes a lot of courage. Now, those of you who do know Stephanie know that she's very active in and around the church, along with Stan, of course. They've been serving here around 12 or 12 and a half years. And last September, we took a Sunday morning and we focused on the very controversial issue of abortion. And Stephanie, along with some friends from the Piedmont Women's Center, uh, manned one of our resource tables in uh, Memorial Hall. We're very helpful fielding questions relating to abortion. And during that service, I read a letter from a lady in the congregation who talked about having an abortion and highlighting her own experience. And what most of you don't know is that lady was Stephanie. And I asked her a couple of weeks back if she would be willing to be interviewed in the midst of one of her Sunday morning study sessions. And she said, yes, she'd be glad to do it. She said, I'll probably come with a little nervousness and fear and trembling, but nonetheless, she's here this morning. Stephanie, tell me and tell all of us circumstances that led up to that abortion. Thank you. Um, well, I wish I could start out by saying that I grew up in a strong Christian home, but I didn't. Uh, my mom and I believed in God, and we went to church occasionally, but we never talked about the things of faith. I felt loved as a child. Um, especially by my mother, but unfortunately my dad uh, had a very dysfunctional childhood and he was just unable to say the words that I longed to hear, I love you, Stephanie. And that hurt just uh, was very hurtful to me as a young girl growing up. These and other influences caused me, as the song says, to go looking for love in all the wrong places. My first love was a handsome pastor's son. Uh, I was 17, naive, and one of the good girls when we met. As first loves go, I was head over heels in love with him, and, and he was with me. With the promise of marriage and a pre-engagement ring, 
Uh, I gave him my virginity and I got pregnant. When my mother found out, she and the doctor immediately scheduled the abortion to be done in the hospital. I was told at that point it was not a baby, it was just a blob of tissue, so I believed the lie. I felt like I had no voice and no choice, so I just went along with the decision. Afterwards, the abortion was never talked about by my family, my boyfriend, or me. It says we just all pretended that it had never happened, but it did, and it caused our relationship to end, which left me heartbroken. My innocence was shattered, and with no one to talk to about it, I had to stuff my feelings of anger and grief and um, regret, guilt, and shame. As a result, my life took an entirely different direction than it would have had I done things God's way. Stephanie, most of us can't imagine how you managed to cope at 17 years old. But not so long afterwards, age 24, you went through a similar experience. Uh, yes, as is typical of in women who have had an abortion, um, I didn't realize I was subconsciously trying to replace the baby I had aborted. And I got pregnant again. My boyfriend of three years said marriage was not an option and insisted that I have the abortion. I was so ashamed that I'd gotten pregnant again, I couldn't tell anyone, much less my parents, so I went along with it. He dropped me off, paid for it, and left me there, and I had never felt so dis much despair or so alone as that day. Our relationship broke up shortly thereafter also. So again, I was left broken and wounded with no one to share my secret with and had to stuff my feelings again, so instead I threw myself into my career and started my own business. One day while I was working, uh, a few years later, I uh, met a man, a very nice man, that was in the same business that I was, and we had a lot of things in common, so we started dating. Uh, we fell in love, and unbelievably, I found myself pregnant again. This time, I knew without a doubt that I could not have another abortion. He wanted to keep the baby, too, so we chose life and marriage and went on to have three beautiful children together. We were married for 11 years when he died tragically of a massive heart attack at age 40. To say the least, this was a devastating event for my children and me. The children's father died without a life insurance policy. I was now a single self-employed mother raising three young children by herself. Stephanie, take us from self-employed mom raising three children to who you are today. Well, thankfully, God never gave up on me through all of my years of um, acting out due to my traumas and, and making bad choices and sinning. During my extremely difficult mo single mother's years, God was pursuing me, uh, as the saying goes, uh, uh, as the hound of heaven, and he was hot on my ta tail. <laughs> he wanted me to surrender to him, and so I did. I finally gave my life to him. In 2001, I finally accepted that he truly loved me and that because he died for me, I was forgiven of all the sins and bad choices that I had had in my past, that God had truly redeemed me. So now my life verse is from Isaiah. Fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. 
The difference between my old life and my new life in Christ has been an incredible testimony of God's redeeming love, grace, and mercy. After giving my life to Christ, the journey began, and God started blessing me in mighty ways and in so, too many ways to mention right now. The biggest blessing was when God brought me the love of my life, Pastor Stan. We married in 2003, and now between our two families, we will soon be expecting six grandchildren. Then I found out about a post-abortion study called Forgiven and Set Free. It's given by Piedmont Women's Center. And I learned that even though Christ had forgiven me, that until I dealt with my uh, secret of my past abortions, that I would not be truly set free. So I signed up, and at the end of the 11-week course, um, I was truly healed and set free from all the grief and shame that I had, and guilt that I had carried for over 35 years. Since Stan and I were called to First Pres 12 years ago, I've known that God has wanted me to share my testimony, but unfortunately, I kept silent because of the fear of being judged. But I can't keep silent anymore because it's not about me. It's about giving God the glory for what he's done in my life and what he can do in others who have been where I've been. God is now calling me to share my testimony to educate people about the devastating and far-reaching effects of abortion. He's also calling me to give hope to the women and men who have been where I've been and to let them know that God loves them. And no matter what your sin is, whether it's abortion or anything else, God wants you to know just to come to him so you can be truly forgiven and truly set free. Please join me in thanking Stephanie for sharing with us this morning. When we talk about facing the messiness of life. That's what we're talking about. Can you imagine the hurt, the pain, the anger, the resentment, 17 and 24, and sin in all of its enticing, addictive, deceptive power, telling a young girl there is no other choice but in fact, the gospel brings choice. And when Jesus said, I have come to give you life and life to its fullness, that's what he was talking about. Sin promises so much and delivers so little. And in verses 4 and 5 of the passage we read, it says, and in him was light, and the darkness did not understand it did not understand it. And why did they not understand it? Well, keep one finger in John chapter 1, turn over to John chapter 3, and focus with me, because I need you to understand the gravitas of what chapter 3 contains. And in John 3:19, John is describing the power of the gospel, and the interview between Jesus and Nicodemus has just taken place and John is writing, this is the verdict. 
Light has come into the world, but men loved darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. And everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that their deeds will be exposed. I remember the first time I came into contact with the gospel. I'd been brought up going to church. I knew the gospel stories, came from a religious household. I then met the girl who was to be my wife. And she talked to me for the first time about having a personal relationship with Christ, of having intimacy with a living God. And I thought, whoa, this is weird. I just wanted nothing to do with it. It was just so strange. Because growing up, religion meant robes and bells and smells. It wasn't about an intimate relationship with God. It was about ritual and liturgy. But when I looked at her life, I saw the impact of the gospel, and I saw credible, authentic Christianity. I saw a life transformed by love and grace, and I thought, whoa, I want a little of that, but at the same time was resisting. And I was resisting for the reason of John chapter 3, because I knew if I had surrendered my life to Christ, if I'd submitted to Him, I would have to change. I didn't want to have to change. I enjoyed the life I had. But sin in all of its deceptive, alluring power had a good hold in my life. And then when I understood the gospel, when I heard it proclaimed, I understood this, that the individual doesn't have to change. Because when you fall in love with Christ, and when your affection for Him explodes, and when you come to know Him, He is the one who changes you, and He gives you a new heart, and a new mind, and a new soul, and intimacy with the living God, and the darkness that once was there is gone, gone forever. And we've heard this morning in Stephanie's testimony that when we say, I believe in the forgiveness of sin, we know the truth of the gospel which sets us free, and the power of the gospel closes the door on the past with all of its regrets, all of its disappointment, all of the anger, all of the resentment. And Jesus turns the key in the lock, and He throws that key away, and He calls us to follow Him. That's what we are saying when we say, I believe in the forgiveness of sins. And folks, please hear me when I say this. Understand that the very center of the gospel is this biblical truth. And it's not just the sins of the past. It's not just the sin of today, but it's all of your future sins as well have been dealt with and dealt with Christ at Calvary's cross. That's why he could say, it is finished. It was fully accomplished in all of its wonder and glory. That is the high water mark of Christ's love for us was Calvary. And when we face the messiness of life in a 21st century environment, we do not face it on our own. 
when we recognize what Scripture teaches about sin, we recognize it is deceptive, enticing, enslaving, and addictive, and tranquilizing. And it will convince you that what you're doing is good and right. But understand this, there is hope. Because as individuals, as a community, as a society, as a nation, we do not have to live there. We do not have to live under the enticing, alluring, deceptive power of sin. Because when Jesus said, you shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free, that's what's happening. That's what's going on. Do you remember the words of arguably the greatest hymn of all time? I once was lost, but now I am found, was blind, and now I see. And amen belongs in there, beloved. That's the gospel. That's what John is writing about. And notice he goes deeper again. Verse 11. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave them the right to become the children of God, children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. When the gospel impacts a life, a supernatural work of God takes place. He didn't come to make good people better. He came to find those who were lost and blind and dead in sin and introduce them to His love and bring them into a saving faith. That's the power of the gospel. Now, you may be here this morning and saying, Richard, I agree. I agree wholeheartedly. I agree unconditionally. You're absolutely right. That's what the Scripture teaches but you may go on to say, Richard, I have a question. That if the power of the gospel is at work in my life, why do I keep on sinning? Before coming to faith in Christ, the Scripture describes us as men and women who are lost and blind and dead in sin. We have no life. But when the gospel impacts the soul, life is birthed. And suddenly we discover there's a spiritual dynamic to life. We have an appetite for the things of God. Prayer is priority. Worship is important. And suddenly we discover a conscience. The very fact you are saying, I am struggling with sin in my life, tells me you have a conscience. It tells me you care. When we say, I believe in the forgiveness of sins, we are not saying we are perfect. We are not saying we have it all together. We are not saying that nothing could be better in any way, shape, or form. What we are saying is this, that I struggle with sin, and I need a Savior. When we say, I believe in the forgiveness of sin, we are telling each other that there are times when we stumble and fall, and we get it wrong. 
but we're also saying he comes along and lifts us up and brushes us down and lets us begin again. That's what we're saying when, I, when we say, I believe in the forgiveness of sin. When we say, I believe in the forgiveness of sin, we are not judging, but we're telling you we are loved. We're not saying we're perfect. All we're saying is we are crippled and need the infusion of His grace to live for Him. And please hear me when I say this. And choir, I think you will agree with me this morning, and every elder and deacon that's here, everyone who's ever participated in a service, acted as an usher, or been part of a multiplicity of ministries here and have served in any capacity, each one of us will tell you we are far from perfect people. But when we serve, He refines us. When we seek to live for Him, He strengthens us. When we say, I believe in the forgiveness of sin, He is there for us. When we say, I believe in the forgiveness of sins, we are saying we are not forgiven because of something we have done. We are forgiven because of what He has done at Calvary. And when that besetting sin comes our way, it may be your prayer this morning is this, before we leave this place, Father, let me see the temptation and let me see that sin for what it is when it first comes knocking at my door. Grant me the wisdom. Grant me the discernment. Grant me to see it for what it is in all of its alluring, enticing, deceptive power. Because when we say, I believe in the forgiveness of sin, we're also saying this, that we can take that sin and we can leave it with Him and we can walk away and say, Father, deal with it. I can't deal with it. I do not have the power. I do not have the stamina. I'm not a perfect person. And what happens is this, with obedience comes blessing and it will be easier the next time. And the next time, with obedience, comes blessing, and it'll get easier the third time, and the fourth time, and the fifth time. But too many of us give up the first time. Let me ask you, as we close this morning, and your response is, I believe. Do you believe in the forgiveness of sins? That was pitiful. Can we try that again? <laughs> Let's try it last time. Do you believe in the forgiveness of sin? I believe. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for this spectacular passage of Scripture. And Father, thank you that on a Sunday morning we can deal with the messiness of life and we can challenge that which is ugly and distasteful and dark and shocking. And we can look at sin in the eye in all of its deceptive, enticing, enslaving, addictive quality and are remembered and are reminded that it is the 
power of God that breaks into our lives and enables us to follow you. Father, take us into this new week, free from the mistakes and choices of the past, free from the disappointments and the regrets and the consequences of the debilitating nature of sin. Because we know that when we say, I believe in the forgiveness of sin, we are doing so because your power is at work in our lives to forgive us and set us free. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Do you need prayer for something or someone in your life? First Presbyterian Church offers a prayer service each Tuesday evening at 7 o'clock. Our prayer ministers will quietly intercede for you or anyone you're representing who needs prayer.